Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today. I'm here with Paige Fockler. She is a performer and a podcaster based in Los Angeles. She has a podcast called Greetings from Depression, which you can find on the iTunes store and on Insta at Greetings from Depression. And she lives with bipolar disorder. So Paige, thanks for coming and joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. Uh, So am I. (laughs) So tell us, um, when and how did you first realize that you had bipolar going on? Well, I... I was diagnosed with just general depression when mm-hmm. I was about 18, 19 years old. Um, timeline's a little fuzzy. I think it was out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and not until, I guess almost two years ago, did I realize some, I was having manic episodes mm-hmm. and things that you think are like normal. Yeah. Uh, parts of your personality and who you are, which, I, you know, they are because it's you, but, uh, I, there seemed to be a cycle happening and um, it was this first time I could like sit down and pinpoint things that were happening in a, in a cycle. Um, And so I ended up having a pretty big breakdown Hmm. um, about two years ago and went home to Texas, just like got in. I was like, I'm mom, dad, I need to come home. Um, So you have a support network. Yes. Huge. Um, And so my mom made an appointment with her psychiatrist because I just that is something I cannot manage to do is mm. make doctor's appointments um, she did it for me she gave all the information she took me um, and I had suspected because I'd done research on it mm. um, that that's what was going to be the, the diagnosis and sure enough it was um, and which was a nice thing because it was a label and I, yeah. I'm a person that likes I don't need them necessarily but I think that I need that I need a jumping off point, and yeah. that gave me a jumping off point. Um, so, you know, pretty late in the game, being 34, I mm. think at the time, 33, um, that I've been diagnosed specifically with bipolar. Right. And it's the second, bipolar 2. So there's, I think that's important that oh, yes, there's a pretty big us. difference. Yeah. Um, bipolar 1 is what I think that 
is depicted in movies and things and to an extreme. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's not a lot of movies on bipolar disorder, but, um, uh, that's the, an extreme version where the manic episodes are are manic and visible to everybody, mm. um, as well as the depression um, episodes. Whereas bipolar two, it's not as extreme. Okay, I would say so. My manic episodes are. I think I'm probably a lot of fun to be around, or if not, to the <laughs> point of like being obnoxious. Um, <laughs> oh man, of like oh, oh sh- like just being overly happy about everything. Everything excites me. It's a wonderful place to live. Mm. Um, but it's also exhausting. Um, and so if, if I were to tell you, you would be able to notice later, like, Oh, Paige is going through that. You know, I've had friends that have said, okay, like I've, I've recognized, Mm. um, and moments and it happens that quickly sometimes where it goes from great to, to not great or vice versa. So you do go through the highs and the lows. Yes. It was nice to have that label because I could, I could, pinpoint those Mm. moments I could immediately feel when things were going to shift sometimes and I there's not a lot I can do in either instance um so I have to just steer into the skid whenever whatever you know happens yeah when you say steer it to the skid what exactly do you mean do you have like specific coping mechanisms that work for you um sort of Mm -hmm. I because I if I get like overly excited, sometimes that's really hard to manage. Mm. Um, especially if I have to concentrate on something, if I'm trying to write and all of, and, and like I have a plan or a schedule to write and I wake up and maybe I, you know, I realize, Hey, I'm in a manic episode. Um, I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm. Um, I'm not, I cannot force myself to sit down. I could, but I'd, I'd go crazy. So mm. I have to go out and do things that I feel like aren't super productive in my life as far as getting something accomplished. So right. I have to go, you know, go spend time with my friends or go out and do and be, I have to be physical. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it, it manifests to a point of agitation and anxiety, mm-hmm. um, which is then destructive in another way. So being physical actually helps you sort of release some of the tension that's associated yes. with the highs. Being physical and being around other people, mm-hmm. um, Unfortunately, I'm sure for other people, sometimes it's too much and it's exhausting. Um, but I also have the support network that will indulge. Yeah. And that <laughs> understands nice. yeah. what you're going through. Like, obviously, it seems like you're pretty open about this. So yeah. I'm sure you definitely. have a friends who you are very open with and who mm-hmm. get it when you're going through it. I mean, I also, I can definitely relate to the whole thing of putting a label on it. I think a lot of us in the invisible illness community. Right. Where like the way you go through so long trying to figure out what's going on. And when you finally have someone put a name on it immediately, I mean, I, right. I remember sort of throwing myself like a mini party at work and being yes. like, yes, you know, it makes all the difference. Yeah, it's so. like putting classes on. Yeah. You it know, is. it doesn't solve the problem, but it definitely aids mm-hmm. in the, um, I mean, I guess glasses kind of solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> But they're temporary. I mean, you take your glasses yeah. off and it's still there. You're you know, still you still can't see. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually it's a, a great situation. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because you had glasses on and made me think of it. <laughs> I am. I'm wearing my blue light blocking yes. glasses, guys, because I have a sleep <laughs> disorder. So now whenever I look at screens, it makes you. I have to wear these yeah. glasses. Um, so tell us what steps you've taken to control your health, because it sounds like for somebody who's going through the kinds of highs and lows that you've been going through, it sounds like you were very aware of your own psychology. So did you have a background working with psychologists and or psychiatrists? And how did you sort of figure it out and gain that self-awareness and then 
Um, I have no background in that. Um, I did, t- I took one psychology class when I was in the, my first year of college. Um, mm-hmm. and that's it. Uh, didn't have a lot of interest. I mean, I, I was interested at the time of the class, but like it didn't, it wasn't something that registered with me. Um, I'm incredibly thankful for the internet mm-hmm. at my disposal and being in a generation, I'm 36 now. So being in the generation that also grew up without, um, without that tool and with that tool at a kind of integral point where it's not like doesn't overtake my life, I right. guess in that way. You're able to um, disconnect from it because you didn't right. have it all the I time. Didn't have to have, you know, yeah. it wasn't in my psyche. Um, but also just, uh, I was, if I go back and look at, at like how I was as a kid, I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. I cried a lot. I, well, I cry a lot. <laughs> um, it happens, but like I would ask questions in class and I would cry. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I'm sure the, the anxiety of, of, of everyone's hearing in, everyone listening and things like that, um, and making me a spotlight in a way, I, I think my body, my brain was just not interested. Um, yeah. so I learned to stop doing that and to find my answers myself. I wouldn't ask questions. I would do as much as I possibly could before I had to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that a part of my personality is why I have, researched so much about because I like I said I don't want to make doctor's appointments um that is astronomical for Mm -hmm. me I would rather pack up my car and drive across the country and move my life than make a doctor's appointment which is crazy Um, well I don't know if the word (laughs) right exactly but I, I think that kind of anxiety associated with it I think is very easy to relate to because yeah we never go to the doctor because we're okay. Right. You know, <laughs> like aside from our annual checkup. So the kind of anxiety that's associated with something that also you're experiencing that's in your mind, I, I can imagine would be even a lot more to deal with. Right. Than, you know, just going to get your annual physical. And I, you know, it's the fear of, if, of people not believing you because people yeah. don't believe you and general practitioners, cause you have to go through that first. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, the, the health system is so screwed up. That it was, it was always so much that I would rather, I was like, okay, well, let's see what I can find out about. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom's always like, how do you ask Google for things? And I literally just like put fragments of my brain into Google and <laughs> it magically appears. So, um, yeah, that search engine has gotten uh, much more ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. so I just, I'd always empowered myself to find my own answers. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, that aided. Um, in this situation, um, if I was yeah. feeling a certain way, I would just look it up. And, you know, I, it's, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, well, I think I'm dying of cancer for, because I feel this. You don't go down the proverbial right. No, I'm like, hole. okay, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, because I needed someone to shed a light about something that no one was talking about. I guess I didn't want to ask questions in that, f- in that form because I didn't think anybody had the answers really, mm. um, because it wasn't talked about. You know, especially this is 18 years ago, you know, that I was first diagnosed. So no one was talking about it. Mm. Um, I don't know that I knew that my mom had depression. Um, I'm sure she talked about it, but it wasn't something that was on the forefront of my mind because I, I didn't want to think that I had that because I also didn't know, you know, there was, it, it was better than it was, you know, 30 years ago as far as stigma, but the stigma's, still there today. Well, do you think your experience was also different as a female or maybe? Yeah. Um, I ask that question a lot because I think a lot of people 
especially because you've mentioned the idea of going to the doctors and people mm. not believing you. I think women have a oh, little more trouble with that one sure. than men do. But I'm always interested to see what people's experiences huh. are in the diagnosis process. It's. It, I, I love that you asked that question because <laughs> I don't think – I feel like sometimes not necessarily a bad female, but and not that I'm not on female side. I was raised with a bunch of boys, like all my cousins, my brother, you know, an older brother, and then I had three other cousins that were boys. They were all – so it was just me yeah. um, for a long time until, you know, eight years and then there was another girl in the family. But I don't know if that had something to do with – the way I felt about being a female, but I wanted to be tough enough to be with the boys. And I had a lot of guy friends, even in, in middle school. And I wanted to be tough, um, and not be seen as weak. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays into a lot of it is that, um, I wanted to always be able to hang with the boys mm-hmm. and the crying was a big problem because it was like, I couldn't control it mm-hmm. and I would get ridiculed for it. Of course. Until I learned how to just step in front of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even at work, I, I worked for a company in New York for a long time and I'd have to go and be like, all right, I'm really upset about something. I'm going to cry when I talk about it. So let's just let that go. Cause guys don't know how to deal with tears. Wow. If a woman comes in hysterically crying and they're well, like, also Why? in a professional environment and they were okay right. with it when you would sort of, well, we'll, we'll say they were okay with it. They were pretty, <laughs> I don't remember them being, um, particularly awful. Like that's, that's never good. been my uh, experience. I, you know, the deer and headlights look, but when it first started happening yeah. <laughs> and, and when I was, you know, when I was still pretty young, I was in my early twenties and, um, before I like could find a voice to stick up for myself. Mm. Um, so it's interesting that you bring up, and I also worked in restaurants. So that's a man's, definitely a man's world too. And having to deal with a lot of like female issues, I had to learn how to be tough really fast. Mm. Um, and so I just, I have a hard time associating myself in any kind of like female sim- sympathy, if, mm. if that makes sense. Not that I don't feel sorry for or, or for, feel sympathy or empathy for other females when they're going through things. Yeah, it's just never one of those things that like I think of. But that's good because you're not thinking about something from from the position of gender because right. it's not affecting – it hasn't affected your treatment and right. your recovery and and everything that you've been through, um, aside from perhaps some of the anxiety and the stigma that you placed on yourself, Right, it sounds like, which is really interesting and very telling, I think. Um, you mentioned um, that you – you went home to your family when you realized that stuff was going on at first. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a bit about um, sort of the journey to seeking help? And, you know, obviously you, you went to your family because you needed an advocate. Yeah. And you did say that you learned to stick up for yourself as well. So um, what's the process been like learning to be your own advocate and also having the support network you have? <clears throat> I... <laughs> So, like I said, my mother has depression. Um, Mm. So she has been – she's my number one advocate, Mm. my number one support, and and father too. Um, But it's different when someone deals with it and when someone doesn't. My father doesn't um, that I know of. He's fairly private. Um, So in the home, it was easy to talk about it. I say easy, but that's my memory of it. Mm. You know, right now, um, I'm sure at the beginning it was not, but being well, able you to always knew your mom had depression. So that was obviously discussed. Right. Um, once I found that out, you know, mm. and, and go back and, um, so she was always very open to talk about it and talk about feelings and, 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 
And in the home, it felt very normal, right? So I would go out in the world and also talk about it. And, um, and felt okay about it. You know, Good. when you first like feel that way and Good job, mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would start to get these, these looks of, and, and, and people's responses of like, Oh, you don't have depression. Like you're too happy. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. And like the, that I just, I didn't <laughs> want anyone's sympathy. I didn't, I wanted their understanding and yeah. for them to be empathetic. And I wanted them to go, okay. And let's move on with it. Um, I didn't want it to be a a debate. Yeah. I, I can have a discussion, but I don't want to have a debate about whether or not you think that I have this illness. Yeah. Um, or and disorder. And why, why should there be a stigma that someone should feel sorry for me because of it? Because I right. can still live exactly. my life. Yeah. So I, I learned – because I think I probably like told everybody – um, was just like, whatever, I have depression until I was getting backlash from it. And I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. tell everyone, um, because I can't control their reaction to it. Right. And in turn, that, that was hurting me because I was feeling like, you know, I was getting judgment, um, and things like that. And so I kind of quieted down for a while and then I don't know, you know, there, what happened, mm-hmm. um, I was I was open with my friends, and I think it was the timeline of of life of how people were starting to talk about it openly and um, in the media, and the the stigma was trying, you know, it was trying lucky. to be erased. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those timings. I I I wish this is so silly, but like I wish that I was a teenager now mm. to deal with this because it is so open, and there are so, I didn't have the language back then yeah. that I have now, um, and, and there's that so they many have. more like support organizations, right? And, and everything it's, now, it's you know hindsight is twenty twenty, but mm. it also just happened to be a timing issue, and I think a personality issue, not issue, personality that I had of being open in general mm. and more than happy and, and being raised with boys and and being open about a lot of taboo subjects, like was more than happy to, to go into the office also at work with a bunch of men and be like, Hey man, I'm on my period. I got cramps. So leave me alone. <laughs> and like all the boys are like, you're so gross. And I was like, first of all, it's not gross. It yeah, is what it's it not. is. That's a, right? They're gross for saying that. Right. Nope. <laughs> so just not have being ashamed to be as open with things that most females specifically, mm-hmm. um, are, are ashamed about. And I yeah. think that, that, that was helpful. So I think it was just a, I was just lucky in the time frame of when I was discovering and that I, that I did have so much anxiety that I had to find answers for myself. And no wonder you started a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, I'm like, I just want to talk about this all yeah. long. And so many people are like, okay, we get it. You have depression. Yeah, we accept number, it and move on. The number of people though, who are out there on their own, who don't necessarily have a support network, right. who just need to hear stories and know that it's okay. Like that's where it makes a real difference, that openness. And I have a friend that was like, I don't understand what you want to talk about all the time, who also, you know, suffers from depression. And I was like, I don't know, because I I don't want to be alone. Like it took me a long time to understand why I want to talk about it too until you talk and talk and talk. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is why. Um, and it's because I listened to The Hilarious World of Depression is one of my favorite podcasts. And um, it was so nice mm-hmm. because I got to listen to these other people that I, f- I think it's also super important when someone is successful to talk about it because especially in my field of like, you know, wanting to be an actor and stuff like that, which is also already a very difficult, yeah. you know, uh, road to go down. And t- to think I have to 
deal with the depression and having to deal with this whole other nonsense. Um, that's chaos. You know, there's no structure about it. And there's, mm. and that is something that, you know, I, I need, I need some kind of structure. Um, and so listening to these other people that went through the same thing, mm. you know, or something similar. So it was so nice to listen to somebody else's story that, that I could relate to. Mm. And that was why I was, that's why I talk about it. So I'm not alone. So other yeah. people aren't alone. Um, and I think it's super important. Yeah. And in terms of your relationship, particularly with your mom, who's been your person, mm-hmm. um, how has that impacted your relationship? Has it changed anything? I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it has. It also is, I, I've been, um, Having depression, I don't think necessarily makes you empathetic, but I think that it's a huge thing being mm-hmm. an em- empathetic person. Um, it's, it's also very difficult because my mom shares with me, you know, mm-hmm. we're friends, not just my mom. And, and so when she's going through something it is really like, I take that in sure. and, um, sometimes that's really difficult and it, this is vice versa for her. Yeah. Um, She's the same, you know, she's empathetic and I, I can f- feel it and hear it, you know, when I'm sad, which, mm. so it leads to me not always divulging how I feel. Um, which I think is a healthy boundary in certain circumstances. Agreed. Yeah. And that is something I just recently realized. I was mm. like, I don't, because I would overshare. I tell everybody everything, the cashier. Um, That's our hashtag, oversharing. Oh, from love. <laughs> like, you know, the cashier at a grocery store will know way too much about my day. <laughs> You know, I'm sure they're like, oh, good God, this person's a lot. Well, don't ask how are you if you want the real yeah. answer. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm sure sometimes they don't ask and I just say it anyway, but my mom is something my mom did. Um, yeah. but it was something recently, you know, in the past few months that I realized like, oh, you don't have to, you don't have to say how you feel a hundred percent of the time. That's okay. Mm. It's okay because it's not going to make me feel better necessarily to tell to vent. Right. Um, I think that we misconstrue what venting is because I'm having to relive what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And if it's something that I don't feel like is impactful or significant in my, you know, in my day to day or like my overall, you know, brain health, then I don't need to yeah, why go talk it? about it. Well, cause also sometimes talking about it makes you relive it. Yeah. You know, so it's like the trauma gets repeated that right. way. So you have to know why you're saying it. Right. You do. Is this going to make me feel better? Do I like yesterday? Yeah, but there was something that irritated me and I was like really raring to tell somebody. Mm. And I was like, why? And I had to really boil it down. And I was like, is this important enough to talk about to somebody else? Mm. And I'm like, no, do I need to divulge everything? Mm. No, I don't. And it, I, at 36, it feels so weird to, to understand that just mm. now. Whereas I'm like, why do other people like, I'm the person that like, if you're my friend, I'm like, Oh, uh, if you're like, I'm like, what'd you do today? And they're like, Oh, well, we, uh, I ate breakfast and I'm like, cool. Like, what'd you have? Like, I want to know those things. So, mm. because I'm going to tell you all those things. I'm yeah. genuinely interested in, um, uh, and so I oversharing was not like that wasn't the vocabulary I would use. I'd be like, no, I'm just sharing. Yes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. other people are not sharing. It's a choice and, of language there. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to learn that the same thing with telling everyone I knew that I had depression. Mm. It's like, well, it's, it's not necessary. You know, it's not, it's going to make me feel better. It's going to make them feel better. Is it, is it the right instance to be doing that? You know, mm-hmm. did some, did someone just come up and be like, Hey, how are you? I'm like, up oh, depressed today. You know, <laughs> yeah. is, is that going to 
is is that me being open or is that me saying too much and I hate to use the word burden, but burdening someone else with or blocking the path to your relationship with them. Right, exactly. Because I, I think I for a long time I also used it as a defense mechanism, just like mm-hmm. with comedy, and <laughs> that I would just be like, "Here, here's my stuff." So you like, I'm going to protect myself by telling you everything that's going on with me, and then you can't find anything out. Mm. So I can, I was controlling the situation. But you've got to be in good company being in comedy too, though, because I mean, yes. we hear the statistics all the time about. How many comics are actually suffering from depression, right? And it is mm-hmm. a coping mechanism for so many people. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting when Robin Williams, uh, mm. passed away. That was a really hard, particularly hard. Um, and I just remember the backlash, you know, of people that talk about suicide and there's always something when, you know, especially yeah, a celebrity. You know, there's always a lot of backlash when like a celebrity commits suicide, and and you know, everyone's thoughts and opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, like I was saying, my friend that didn't understand the need to talk about depression, and I was like, his whole thing was, if Robin Williams had talked about it, he would have been seen in a different light. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know what? He probably would have, and he would have, it could have helped a lot of people if he had talked about it. Not to put any kind of blame on Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, that's his journey and his decision. Um, but do you, th- I, I, you know, I, don't you think if someone with that kind of, for lack of a better word, power, um, to, to touch so many people in a way he touched, there was a reason it was so endearing. There was a reason that he was able to t- touch so many people was because he had great, empathy mm. from his depression because he knew, you know, that's also obviously me speculating on his life, but that's what I get from someone like that. And he uh, also, when he, when he uh, committed suicide, he'd also been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Yes. So it was like a, both things at once, which I imagine would not have been easy. Right. Particularly when you're like a physical comedian, you know, right to, to have to, to deal with that. And, mm. you know, I, I have, I don't know that I have a definitive opinion on suicide. Um, obviously it's, it's a really tough thing, but I've said before, and, and you know, and I have talked to people who have, uh, have attempted and didn't work. And so I don't know how insensitive this is, but I feel like with, with Anthony Bourdain and Robin Williams, mm. because they were a certain age, um, and because I had to, I have to deal with this every single day. And if I'm 60 years old, yes, sure, that's young um, by today's standards. But you'd be exhausted. But you? at some point, yeah. I'm done and I'm exhausted. And I've tried. I tried for 60 years. And I and not only did I try, I succeeded and succeeded. And it's exhausting. And I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I've – specifically in their instances, they both had done so much outwardly and for the world and for themselves. And – it's unfortunate that there's a family left behind, but you know, my, my counterpoint is well, what good am I going to do if I'm depressed every day? And if I am living for someone else solely, mm. but I'm not, I can only imagine I can't be there for a child a hundred percent if I can barely get out of bed. Sure. And then all of a sudden I've impacted my child that, you know, great. I stayed alive. And I'm 80 and you're, my child remembers day after day. Mm. Oh, well, mom can get out of bed. Um, or, you know, your, your significant other or partner couldn't get out of bed. Um, 
I guess I'm saying that I understand yeah, why they did it. Right. And I, either, I think that it does. I think some people do think that it sounds that way and it's not, you know, I think if you're younger, it's a little bit different. Mm. You know, you don't have, you don't have the vocabulary, you don't have the experience, you don't, I know it hurts, especially in adolescence, but that depression coupled with adolescence is so much, you know, so exhausting. Yeah. If you could just get through at least to your 20, you know, and you'll see like it, it does get better if you accept it. Yeah. Um, And I'm certainly you're going to learn coping mechanisms like you have along the way. Right. And possibly be medicated depending on your condition, you know, and all of these things can certainly ease the, the personal burden. Right. Right. So that's where it does become sort of like, well, we don't have to go that far, you right. know, and, and a lot of people end up hitting 60 and being even better by then. So right. Exactly. I mean, everybody's so different. That's Everyone's what, different. It's so crazy because it's such uh, a spectrum. Yeah. Everybody, you know, everyone is under this umbrella, but the spectrum is wide and mm. varied. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive because of my Hashimoto's and medications, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. The Wave was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. But because the technology is new, it can be pricey. So for those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you also listen to Uninvisible, they're offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R-Labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So you've talked to us a little bit about um, being at work with mm-hmm. depression and, um, you know, sort of talking to your coworkers and stuff. How do you balance the demands of work and life when you never know when an episode is going right. to crop up? It's easier now, especially being in the, uh, the place that I'm in, that they're so open and everybody at work knows and um, that what I deal with. And obviously on a, on a surface level for the most part, mm-hmm. I am at work and, you know, it doesn't always lend, you know, you have a deep conversation about my psyche. Um, <laughs> Maybe in the HR. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's difficult, especially since I have been in um, customer service hmm. my entire life. So a lot is a lot to begin with yeah. for any human being. Mm. Um, and then to have to go in there. I mean, there are times I've cried at tables, like when I was waiting tables or bartended. Um, because people are demanding and mean. They're demanding and mean. And, and I'm, you know, and this is the few times that being a female and having men tell me to smile. And I was oh. like, man, you just have no idea. <laughs> you don't yeah. know what I'm going through and you don't know how much it took for me to get here today. Um, I'd always pride myself on having a great work ethic. So mm-hmm. calling out was not a thing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my shift covered or I came into work and got sent home. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I'm good at balancing it um, because I don't know when it's going to happen. It's great when mm-hmm. it's manic because I, I can function, f- function and yeah. physically function. Um, and then there are other days that I have to talk myself through ev- almost every single moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, I work in an ice cream shop right now for mm-hmm. their job. So it's 
you know, well, sitting happy there. Yeah, <laughs> it's happy, which makes it even worse uh, to come in, in there and, and feel the impending doom, yeah. you know, and have to sit there every single second and be like, you don't have to be excited about what you're doing, but let's just, for the sake of your sanity and your, your brain for this moment, we're going to smile mm. and having it. It, I think when people are like, oh, you smile and you'll feel better. And that is true. It, but it's an, I think people think it's going to fix. Yeah. Like I'm not, oh, great. No, not, not necessarily in a fix. Yeah. You know, it is a fix for that second. And mm-hmm. so, but if I can keep doing it, keep doing it for the four hours I'm there, then we can, we can get through and we can survive. Mm-hmm. Now, does that work 100% of the time? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But it does help. You know, yeah. it is a co- it, it 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 is a way to cope. Um, I'll give myself pep talks before I go in. Um, and did and you learn like, these from working with doctors or no? I've only been I yourself. I only went to a, a therapist. I think three sessions from one oh, wow. therapist, um, which was another one of those things that was really difficult to do. And she mm-hmm. just wasn't the right therapist for me, so I didn't learn that through her. I just listening to people talk about their lives, like. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of TED Talks. Yeah. Um, and he kind of like, I read a lot of, uh, self help books. Um, so you've switched on the logical part of your brain. With yes. Your own research. Right. Yeah. Um, and with, when it's really, really bad, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay too. Yeah. Uh, and do you, have you ever tried medication? I, oh, I've been on medication. Oh, okay. So I've been off and on a medication for the past 15 years. Yeah. Um, and that, there's an obvious, uh, divide when I'm not and yeah. when I am. Um, and I'm sure you can also rely on your support network to tell you if you're not cognizant, but it sounds like you're right. very self-aware. Pretty self-aware. Yeah. Um, which is, is nice. Well, and cause I can, you know, curtail and or nip it in the bud or understand. Yeah. What's and I imagine some of that also comes from being a performer, right? Because so much sure. is internal work. Yeah. It's so know. much internal work and it's so much physical work. Mm. I think that, you know, being a dancer and, and being so in tune to my body at a very young age was, it was super helpful mm. and that I did internalize a lot of things and that's how I got them out mm. was through those, um, those two venues with dance first. And then, you know, when I was, in college is when I really decided I really liked acting mm. because all of a sudden I could be me a hundred percent on stage and other people were too, you know, like that's very cliche first year of college and your first acting <laughs> class and you're, you're like all of a sudden you're like, you have the vocabulary and you have the outlet mm. for all of this. In other um, words, let's support the arts. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Super important. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, all of those things combined helped me be very in tune to myself and, and writing down journaling, how I Mm -hmm. feel. Um, there's this app called mood notes that Mm -hmm. I have started using a friend of mine, Edgar, um, brought up, but it's basically, like I said, a timer and like every time, every day at like six, it checks in with how you're feeling and you can, answer it and then you can go into detail and you can journal about it well, and you, then you can answer questions and things like that. Yeah. Who needs to write things down right? with pen and paper <laughs> anymore? <laughs> I know. Well, right. that's that's my only thing is I still use – I still like to physically write. Mm, um, I'm the same. I think maybe that's our generation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I think agree the, with that. the kids who were born after the 80s yeah, do like, not have that understand. same explanation. I'm like, no, give me pen. Like, I wish someone would pay me to write things down for them. <laughs> That'd be a real dream of mine. You could go get an assistant job and you could write lots of things down. I know. <laughs> so um, tell me, are you often, I mean, you you mentioned a little bit before about people not believing you when mm-hmm. you go to them with, about your symptoms. 
Are, have you, can you tell us an instance or, um, you know, an experience you may have had where you had, you were confronted to sort of justify that something was going yes. on and no one else could see it, but you knew it was happening? Um, as far as like how I was feeling. Yeah. So I had, um, a, a friend, a roommate that I lived with at one point, And, um, I think I probably talked about depression and I watched him, his eyes glaze over and be like, okay, you know, didn't outwardly say something. He didn't need to. Yeah. I knew. was like, okay. Um, but I, and I was always trepidatious about saying anything like when I was feeling that way and it was hard to justify the mood that changed in the apartment um, because it did and I could feel it and I knew I know that everybody else can because I can feel it when it it happens to other people but um, a particular instance I I went to Rite Aid I was just getting something and came started having a panic attack was the first one I'd ever had I was sweating profusely and shaking. I couldn't control anything. Mm. Um, but not super outwardly. Um, they were like things that I could feel. I, f- I felt like if you were looking at me, I would look like I was shaking uncontrollably. Like a mess, yeah. Right. But I, I wasn't. And I came home and he instantly, like he looked at me, but at this point, my face is white. I'm, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't function. I couldn't hold things. I dropped everything. Like as soon as I walked in the door, um, and he's kind of freaking out. He's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, I'm having, you know, I, I don't think I said I was having an anxiety attack because I didn't know mm-hmm. what was happening. Um, and he, it was, this is probably not really answering your question, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. So far it is. Um, it was the first, this is so silly. The night before we had watched Grey's Anatomy, it was the first few seasons. And I don't remember who was having an anxiety attack. I think it was Christina Yang. Mm-hmm. And, um, someone came and, um, hugged her, like bear hugged her. And, um, he was like, do you, do you want me to do that? And I'm like, well, I'm just shaking my this head. This is yes. not silly at all. You're not right? the first person who's been on the show who has been influenced by a TV show. Oh my God, that's so great. But it was so interesting that it happened literally the next day. Mm. And I, I, you know, and he hugged me and he was actually leaving for work and stayed with me for a little bit. But um, it was one of those things that was kind of gratifying because it was a physical manifestation of how I felt mentally that he's finally someone that I know probably didn't really believe, um, or just like she'll grow out of it. Yeah. Um, was able to see like, Mm. this is what it's like all of the time. Like, this is how I feel inside all of the time. I mean, that's, that the anxiety part of the, you know, that I deal with, but it was a nice, only almost lovely thing to happen at the mm. right time. And, and where he didn't understand before. Right. He Hopefully he could did. understand now. Yeah. Um, wow. Which was cool. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. It was nice. Because I feel like often in those situations, people come across, people in this invisible world, right? We mm-hmm. come across doctors who don't believe us and, and friends and loved ones who don't believe us. But to, to ha- have a situation like that where it's someone who maybe didn't quite understand it at first, who then understood it, right? to have it turn around like that, that's really – it warms the cockles. Yes. <laughs> it was really that's lovely. That's lovely. Um, so obviously your experience has turned into advocacy on a larger scale because yes. you love to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So um, aside from the podcast and just having conversations with people um, in Greetings from Depression – um, have you been involved in any other advocacy work? No. And I, I 
talked to someone recently about this and I, because I feel guilty about that. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's a, you're dealing with a lot. Right. So it's, and that's like, why someone was like, well, we I don't know can. that you should feel guilty about no. it. Um, because there's so many tabs open on my computer of like, and in your programs brain. <laughs> like, yeah, that I would, I would like to be a part of and that mm-hmm. I'd like to get out there, um, and, and help. But it is, it, it stems from, you know, the fear of, and the anxiety of actually doing that. Totally. Um, and, and so my, the result is that I'm not involved in anything, mm. um, even though I would like to be. I think your podcast is ample involvement in yeah. advocacy though. Thank you. I mean, for, especially because you're saying that you've, you've found comfort in TED Talks and podcasts right. that other people have, created and you're doing the same that's thing. true you're right it's i'm giving myself forward. no credit I guess. yeah give yourself a little <laughs> more credit on that one page um so we know that you're an oversharer yeah <laughs> and i love that right. um you're in the right place to talk about that so how important is it that we keep these conversations going and do you think that that continuing to talk about invisible conditions may help us with I don't want to use the word cure because right. with some of these, there just is no cure. It's just coping, but, um, acceptance and the removal or, or, um, degradation of stigma, mm-hmm. perhaps. Huge. I mean, yeah. I think it's in- incredibly important. Um, I, I don't, I love the way that it, it is moving. I love that mm-hmm. it is so open. I love that, um, talking about medication and uh, talking about therapy is so important. It's interesting to be in LA um, because people are, are a little bit more open and people are a little more understanding. Unfortunately, sometimes I think it's too much and I think mm-hmm. that it is um, used inappropriately or uh, abused. Sure. You know. Um, For sympathy. I think we'll use it to, you know, their advantage. Sure. Um, when it's not, when it's not something that they suffer from at all. But who am I to say, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fine balance and it's a difficult, um, way we're trying to maneuver. But I think if people are, are more open, mm. um, we can, we can see these patterns. We can see things, you know, I can almost instantly tell if someone's depressed or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a superpower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a great side of it. <laughs> yeah. Is that, you know, being empathetic and, and granted I work in customer service, so it's a little bit different because customers irritate me all the time mm-hmm. and I'd rather not do it. But for people in my life or people that I work with or people that I meet, um, and especially someone that like maybe seems negative and, and things like that. And, um, we, you know, my tendency is, oh, well, maybe they're dealing with something as far as this is and this is how it manifests in their life and this is how they deal with it or yeah. ignore it, to be quite honest. Um, I think that depression is incredibly common. Mm. more common than I think it's right now. I think it's like at 40% of people have it. And I think that's a pretty low number. Yeah. Cause that's just the ones who are acknowledging right. they have it. and that are saying it. And even if they're saying it in secret and not talking about it. Um, uh, and, and probably a good number of those cases are circumstantial and others are right. Exactly. And the, there is, there is that difference. And I mm. think that that's difficult too, is and something we talk about in my podcast is that there's a there's a difference between I think clinical depression, situational depression, um, and and not to say one is worse than the other, but one with 
when is something you live go with away more easily, right? Yeah. You know, and there are coping mechanisms that can be, you know, mm. quote unquote, cure it. Um, so I think it's important to talk about the differences in that. And I think if everyone talks, I think we we treat depression with kit gloves as if like, oh good God, I don't know how to deal with Paige. Like, let yeah. me, you know. And sometimes you just need the bear hug. Uh, right. I need the bear hug or I just need you to accept it and move on because yeah. this is something I live with. If I, if I told you, you know, I had broken my ankle and like had crutches, like you're not, yes, you're going to be a little more cautious, yeah, um, which is great, but also you're going to, I'm going to get to continue to live because I'm going to end up, you know, I could take care of myself. Sometimes I just need to tell you I'm depressed and, and that be the end of it. Um, so I, it's important to talk about so you, you can understand how other people cope, how you can help someone cope. Um, and, and how it can just be normalized. Yeah. You know, and because it is normal, it's a normal thing. And, and there's plenty in this world right now that's being normalized that's not normal. Right. Why not exactly. normalize a thing that is? Right. right? Um, yeah. and so then we can learn how to, to live with it and, and live not, with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I live with someone who, you know, also has problems and sometimes that's really difficult, mm-hmm. but it is so nice that he's opening with me to talk about because his, his instant, it's different, you know, mm-hmm. he suffers differently than I do. And so I, I, there's no point to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, I, people talk about farting and yep. pooping all the time, which I do. <laughs> It's I talk cool. about it all the time. That's why you're on this podcast thing. too. <laughs> um, so I, it's, it, to me, it's no different. And it, yeah. I think people think that others are looking for sympathy. And in my case, and I think in a lot of people's cases, it's not. You're looking for acceptance. Hmm. And I think that talking about it normalizes it and, yeah. and helps people accept. I think that's awesome. So we're kind of coming to the end of our interview awesome. here. Um, and – as everyone knows at this point, I like to wrap up the interview with a couple of top three lists. Great. I love lists. <laughs> so um, first, what I'd want to start with is um, what would your top three tips be for someone who thinks that maybe they do have something going on psychologically? Um, what would you suggest to them? Interesting. Mm. Ah, top three things. Yeah. Uh, if you can... I, there are, uh, there are apps, I think Talkspace mm-hmm. and I'm always going to forget this other one because <laughs> I know the hard, one of the hardest things is to, is to reach out yeah. to someone. Um, but there are more and more apps like that popping up. There are. Great. Stigma. Stigma. Okay. Is another one. Stigma is one that, um, is based, basically run by peers. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a dating, dating website. They kind of pair you up. Like you answer a bunch of questions. Um, and then you, you get to talk to other people that also, you know, deal with the same kind of situation. And so if you think something's happening, this is a, a private way for you to talk. If, if you can get some, if get someone to talk to that you don't have to like, talk to or feel judged by that I think or potentially pay for their service. Right. <laughs> this is free. Yeah. Um, this is uh, optimal. Is get to a doctor if you can. I you ha- usually have to go to a general practitioner first and for they referral. for a referral or they can prescribe medication mm-hmm. if they feel, but that's sometimes a a tricky situation. It can be a slippery um, slope unless you're with the mental health right doctor. Um, yeah. and then number 3, I, find someone in your life that you can talk to. Mm. Um I know it seems like a, a difficult situation. There is a um, a website called makeitokay.org, mm. and um, it 
it gives you tools to a talk about your depression or for the people I that think that someone in their life has depression mm. and can't have can't say it, it gives you resources and tools to talk that's about wonderful yeah it's really cool how great so um I'm sure that you've I mean, you've mentioned some of your coping mechanisms when you feel an episode coming on mm-hmm. and that may have influenced lifestyle changes. Do you ever sort of cheat on your, your lifestyle changes or, yes. um, have some guilty pleasures or indulgences, like some top three comfort activities, indulgences, guilty pleasures, cheats that you'd want to share Jeez. with us? Yes. Um, I try, like I said, I try to be physical, uh, if I'm having manic episodes, but unfortunately sometimes drinking gets into that. Mm. Um, and it, it's an interesting thing because it's another superpower is that you don't feel the effects. Uh. You feel effects differently and it, you, it, uh, so unfortunately that happens to be, but I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty responsible. Mm. Um, so I would say drinking and not it. And I feel. I don't necessarily – I do feel guilty, but I also don't feel guilty because I'm not doing it to get out of a feeling. I feel more guilty if it's a depressed episode and I'm trying sure. to use that as a tool to get out of it. Whereas I, I'll take it if I'm celebrating Yeah, in an instance. So, and as long as you're being responsible, as you say, and like right. aware, like, okay, I'm not going to have more than like two or three drinks. Or, sure. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> Or, um, or five or six, but whatever my limit is. Right. You know. And I'll do it in public. I'll be out in public with other people to, you know, to yeah. have that feeling. Um, I would say that is something, uh, shopping, mm. uh, that, that's a double edged sword. <laughs> you know, I'll do it when I'm in a great mood. Um, it's also, that's proven to be kind of an addiction. Yeah. Because I was using it to solve the other problem is I was trying to make myself feel better. So I would go shopping. Um, and had to learn how to break that habit. Wow. And then. But you have broken the habit. Like yes. You're more aware. I am able to go to a store and walk down every aisle. Target was always my Target thing. Is dangerous. I but, will. I mean, have you seen all the memes that are like, you, yeah. know, you walk into Target for one thing and you spend $300, you know? I, when I first moved out here, I had to relearn the value of money and didn't, I didn't have any. And, um, I was able to, to get myself to a place where I could literally just walk every single aisle. I would use it as a museum experience. Mm. I wanted to see everything that was new and not spend any money. Mm. And then I was like, this is, this is the healthiest I just look. could do. I could look. Um, let's see if I have anything else that I use for. I just, coping. I think it's great that you're able to look at these and, and experience these. Things like drinking and shopping that, that can be addictions for people and that, um, can be crutches. Yeah. Um, and that you've been able to shift your perspective. Um, because that's a huge thing to be able to do on your own. Um, but it's something that I'm sure a lot of listeners would be going, Oh yeah, maybe I do use that as a, right. Maybe I should change that. So it's a great awareness. Yeah. I would say stopping those things for a little bit of time is what makes you realize when you go back. I remember I didn't have any money, so I didn't go shopping. And I went one time I was like, okay, I got like extra money. And I went into a store and went nuts. Mm. And like, then it created a manic episode. Right. And I was like, oh no, this is a problem. Yeah. So it's the, the stopping and starting that helped me realize yeah. these things. But now it's a thing that you can really take pleasure in yeah. and go like, even if I just go and look down the aisles and yeah. see all the things that are new, like it's, it's nice. pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you do as well? Like that if, if you're having an episode, if 
there's like a particular thing that you can do that helps you cope with it or I suppose the bear hug for an anxiety. I do. Attack. Yeah. The bear hug is definitely a, a great thing for that. <sighs> a lot of times I indulge. Um, I'm just now learning the people that were able to like use their comedy and like go out on stage and funnel that. Like I never understood that because I always indulged in whatever it was. If mm-hmm. I was feeling sad, I was, I was really going to get into that right. um, by uh, I would watch Steel Magnolias or mm. Beaches just so I – there's the easiest movies for me to cry to. Sure. And I was already – I wanted to cry and that mm. was how I released everything. Um, yeah. And wishing – I still wish that I could funnel it uh, in, an, in a – a more constructive way, but like I guess – Make money off of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, or that would be healthy because I'm not sure that – crying and indulging it is always healthy, but, but it you does, know, it's better out than in, right? Yeah. It's just like farts. And I would, <laughs> yes. There we go. Got it back. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, it doesn't make me, there's very little that will make me feel better in, mm-hmm. in a deep state of depression. Um, I getting out and being having to force myself to get out and be around people um, has been. A, it takes you out of yourself. Yeah, mm. a new thing and focusing on somebody else. Yeah, um, movies, I guess. Yeah, movies are great for that because I can both be in public and be around other people and also have my own private world. Yeah, um, are huge for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Paige, thank you so much. It's been thank such a pleasure having you. you on the show. Thank you. And as a reminder to listeners, they can find your podcast, Greetings from Depression, um, on Instagram at Greetings from Depression, and can also find you on the iTunes store and wherever you listen to podcasts. So yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And sharing about your experiences. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.